You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Feeling like I should, I'm all good, I'm all good, never knew I could, I'm all good, I'm all good. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I am so excited for you all to hear my conversation with Darian. I think she is one of the most interesting thinkers and journalists in the beauty space today. And it's really fascinating to hear her talk about the way that the beauty journalism space is evolving, the importance of having your own platform, where it used to be like you would die to get a job at Hearst or Condé Nast for a chance to reach an audience to talk about beauty. Now you can just use social media, create videos, talk about these things, build an audience and kind of get work that way. And I just think it's really interesting to talk to people that are in the field as it's emerging about their thoughts. We also just talk about beauty culture today through the lens of some television shows. So for example, we talk about, and just like that, we talk about how I am choosing to remain neutral on Botox and eyelash extensions because I'm realizing that people's tastes are changing and the norm is changing. And so I'm just observing versus being judgmental. Overall, a really interesting conversation that I hope you guys enjoy. Right now, I'm just easing into January 2022. We have not had our nanny in the past two weeks because of a COVID situation. And thankfully, she's fine, but it's just been my husband and I taking turns, taking care of Mavi, which is a lot of work when you're also working full-time. But you know we're healthy and we're really grateful for that. And so it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. It's been cold in New York. We're headed out to Sag Harbor to enjoy some time there. And because so many people in New York are sick, and Omarion is just spreading his wings all over the city. We've been inside a lot. So that means I've been watching a lot of television. Euphoria came back. Yes. You guys know I interviewed Donnie Davey, the lead makeup artist of Euphoria, who I literally had to like pursue relentlessly for like a very long time to get her on the podcast. And I was the first podcast that she ever did. I think she's done more press now, but really great episode if you want to check that out. And now that Euphoria is back, I'm just really taken aback by how stressful it is, how anxiety inducing it is. When Euphoria first came out in, was it 2020? I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't a parent yet. You know, it was just like, oh, these are crazy kids. Now I watch and it's so stressful for me to watch these kids and all of the, the situations that they're putting themselves in that are like totally unsafe. I'm also watching Morning Show, yes, which I know is old, but just watching it for the first time now and it's pretty enjoyable. But that's what I'm going to be doing, I think, for the foreseeable future on the weeknights watching television. So let me know what you guys are watching, if there's anything that I should check out. And let's get into this conversation with Darian. Thanks for listening. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, 
eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I ain't never felt before. Darian, welcome back to Naked Beauty. Thank you so much for having me. You know what I was reflecting on even just today was that I feel that I think this is my third appearance on Naked Beauty Podcast. And I feel that anyone who, for whatever reason, would want to like get to know me for in some capacity for any reason, they could track my growth. Yeah. They could track my thoughts literally through Naked Beauty Podcast. Like which is kind of cool to me. It's really amazing how much our careers and me personally have grown since mm-hmm. that first interview we did in 2017. And someone actually brought this up. Did you, did you, are you, were you an insecure fan? Were you into the yes. whole? Okay. Someone said like, what's emotional about insecure ending after five years is when we reflect on our personal journeys from season one of the show versus where we are now and how much has happened. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. Like it's been this part of our lives and you and I have been able to check in on air Mm -hmm. like every couple of years. Yeah, so true. And I felt that every time I actually have a better sense of who I am and like the direction I want to go and like what I care about in beauty and the space that I want to fill and also watching you evolve too, right? And having a son, watching you on Instagram, but also just even our friendship, you know, and also watching the podcast continue on after all these years. It's just, I think it's amazing. I think it's like a testament to our hard work, to our personal growth. I think we should give ourselves more credit for that. It's tough. Cheers to that. Well, Mm -hmm. introduce yourself for people that aren't familiar with you or your brilliant work. My name is Darian Simone Harvin. I am a beauty reporter. I really focus on beauty at the intersection of politics and pop culture. And I feel like what that really now means is that for the past four to five years that I really decided that I wanted to focus on beauty, um, it's really been about me defining beauty for myself and what that involves, who that involves, who I want to see be a part of the conversation and really getting people to recognize outside of the obvious focus that we have on brands and what they are doing and the products that we're testing and, you know, the founders who are really into, I think sometimes um, spotlighting each other and us and how our thoughts and emotions and the way that we decide to show up affects pop culture. I think yes. that now, you know, when I think about beauty and what defines beauty, I, I run a newsletter called Beauty IRL. That's a curation of beauty news that's at the intersection of politics and pop culture. And I cover now wellness, spirituality, women's health, athletes, tech, music. I feel like music is really the universal language of everything I've really learned. So I write for the New York Times, LA Times, Allure, Teen Vogue, The Cut. I'm going to have more stories coming out with The Cut this year. You know, fingers crossed. But I love that. Yes, I've loved seeing your work in The Cut. How do you get to a place where all of these outlets that we know and love are commissioning you for work? I think a lot of people would love to do journalism about beauty at the intersection of, you know, pop culture and politics. But how do you start? Like, how do you get to a career like the one you've had? Well, the advice I would give anybody actually with this current state of media, and it's actually really affecting the direction that I am starting to go is 
less focus on the platform and more focus on your voice, really being in conversation with people who are not in media and sometimes not even people who are like interested in your beat per se, like whether it's music or beauty, talking to your friends, talking to your family, really keeping your feet on the ground so that you can come up with and you can pitch story ideas that no editor can deny. I've interviewed Tracy Ellis Ross, Megan Thee Stallion, Lauren London, Cardi B, Natasha Rothwell. You know, I've interviewed a, a variety of Yes, like people who are icons, literally. And I feel that one of my favorite pitches that I wrote was for Meg Thee Stallion when she had her beauty pageant in LA. Like for me, that was very much like a beauty reporter thing to do. It was in LA. It was something I could go to. I pitched it to the style section of the New York Times. So it was this way of covering a music artist in the New York Times in a way that I know the music section of the New York Times would have never let me do. Like, that's the reality of, of the situation. Like, the New York Times is literally never going to let me write a story, like, for their section. But I still found a way to interview one of the most undeniably most, like, will go down in rap history as one of the best rappers, period, to me. And it's in the New York Times. And she had a beauty pageant and she supported other women. So... If anything that I have learned this past year is, wow, I have really worked hard and almost used my own stories and especially my newsletter as a case story for a new way of talking about culture. Because ultimately now what I'm doing is I am really just talking about culture through the lens of beauty, which is a really exciting thing to me because I feel like beauty is not something that ultimately no one can tell you or me or anyone else that they can't partake in in whatever way that they want. And I think that there's a true freedom to that. And when we talk so much about diversity and inclusion, it's not even something that I have to say. I can just do it and show it by the people who I cover. I feel like I've finally come to terms with the fact that like people want to hear what I think they want to hear through my work, I've always tried to center other people, like, you know, centering other people, who they are, what they do, and more of like, through that, you see my taste, through that, you see what I'm into. And like, I know that that's, that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. You're killing it. And I do think you're right. It is this case study about a new way to approach a career in media and approaching a career in media, not being like, I need to get hired by Allure. You can be anywhere in the world and use the video capabilities you have to start telling stories and sharing those stories on social media. If you can't do video, you can start with audio. There's just so many options. So we have to talk about personal relationship to beauty and how it's changed since we last caught up. We caught up at the top of 2021. So now we're in 2022. A lot's happened. We've, we've sustained another year of, of living through this horrible pandemic that seems to never want to end. I want to talk about skincare specifically. How has your relationship to skincare been this year and has it changed? I actually feel that I have come back to a lot of my rituals in the experimentation or things that I've tried or I did. I had a really, really bad hormonal acne breakout because of a product combination that I used that I really shouldn't have done. It was my fault. Can you share the product combination? Yeah, it was really stupid of me. It was um, topicals and a BHA. It was Apollo's Choice BHA. Oh, wow. Two products I have. Yeah. When you are using topicals, you should not... They, they actually specifically tell you not to use in your same routine a retinol or another exfoliant. And this, and this is, this sorry, is like, just to clarify, because Topical says two products. This is the faded cream that is sold for hyperpigmentation specifically, which doesn't have hydroquinone in it, which if you are using hydroquinone, you also cannot use any sort of retinol or acids because it's just too harsh. I like to do hydroquinone with a good sunscreen and vitamin C, but you're speaking to the faded product. Continue. Yes. And so for me, it was like, the pandemic did something to my brain for whatever reason, I decided that that would be a good idea. And my skin broke out so, oh, so no. horribly. It really triggered 
a huge breakout on my forehead, on both of my cheeks. And I, you know, had really bad hyperpigmentation after it was all said and done. And I like love topicals. I love the faded product, but it's also the thing you have to understand is that like when you use topicals, like you should not, you can't use retinol or other exfoliants. At least I, I, I want to at least say that for me and within the same routine, you, you should not. And everyone's skin is different. And I would agree. And in fact, the fact that it says that on the packaging is also a it, major it does. It does. clue yeah. that you probably shouldn't combine. Yeah. So like, this is a, a like a Darian's fault, not, yeah. oh, this product is bad. This is 100% my responsibility. We've all been there. So that was really tough going through that because I've never had hormonal triggered breakouts or acne that comes from that I have had to reel in, that I've had to manage. And personally, it was something that I had to mentally tackle. I had to come around even with my self-esteem. I had to literally figure out what I was going to do with my skin, where I felt comfortable being, who I felt comfortable being around. And so, I mean, that's just the honest truth. And it's like, everyone has their own experience with skin and what they're comfortable with and what is their new reality. And for me, that was it. And so now I'm in a much better place. I am no longer using topicals just because I realized that I just want to use retinol and that be my life. Like (laughs) I just want to use retinol and that be my life for the rest of my life. Interesting. Okay. And your skin looks great right now. So how were you able to fade the hyperpigmentation? Retinol does help with hyperpigmentation as well, but how were you able to get your skin to a place where you, you know, you're, you're trying to recover basically from this breakout? Yeah. Now my routine is I have really implemented Paula's Choice Niacinamide Booster within my routine. So now in the morning when I wash my face, I um, a hydrating toner always put on the niacinamide and then I just do vitamin C and sunscreen and that's it. And then at night I do retinol in my moisturizers. And lately, honestly, it's been really cold and really, really drying. And so I've been putting, I've been sealing my routine with Vaseline because really that's the only way I feel like, honestly, the Vaseline is saving my face because it's trapping the moisture. Exactly. Tell me which hydrating toner and sunscreen you're using for for daytime. Clarins has a fantastic toner. I also think that Tower 28 has a toner that really just helps to... Oh, that SOS spray? Yes. I really like that toner. I don't love the smell, but I think the smell is just kind of a a symptom of whatever the, the formula is and truly not a big deal. I think it does a really great job of just calming the skin and it's not super expensive and it lasts for a while. And apparently it's good for eczema. I hear from people. Yeah. And then I use black girl sunscreen to me, black girl sunscreen. I know that it has ingredients that are going to already help with fading hyperpigmentation and it's just a very moisturizing sunscreen. And so for me, it means that I don't have to use, that's my moisturizer, right? Yes, exactly. That avocado oil in the formulation makes it so hydrating and like lovely. And your skin glows after you put on the black girl sunscreen. It really, really does. And they have a matte version, but I still stick to the original because I love that greasy glow, honestly. (laughs) I love it too. I love it. Now, we have to talk about this trend, which I'm sure you've observed, of skin minimalism, where everyone's trying to pare back their routines. Everyone's trying to say, we have too much, we're buying too much, we're doing too much. And a lot of conversation about the skin barrier and protecting the skin barrier. Do you feel that this is just another trend in like the beauty cycle pendulum where it's like, go to have a 10 step routine. And now the pendulum swings the other way and they say, okay, only do like two things or three things. Um, And how do you feel about all of the conversation now about the skin barrier? Yeah. Okay. I feel that this is actually a conversation that we have continued to have, but the term just takes on, but the term just either takes on a new meaning, or I feel that we come up with like a new name for it. Or sometimes I feel that makeup and skincare minimalism and steps kind of just flip flop. 
And sometimes I think it also has to do a lot with social media platforms and whose content we are paying attention to and who through their own routine and what they're saying, we are starting to feel like it is becoming a part of just, what am I trying to say? Are you saying that it's almost like interception? (laughs) Like without us realizing we're absorbing a point of view about how many steps we should have in this skincare routine by watching like you know, Vogue, get ready with me or like watch me take up, do my face, my skincare routine that we're basically getting messages about how long our routine should be and how many products we should be using. Yeah. And I think it's also an emphasis on who we're paying attention to, who's influential and who's in your ear, making you feel that this is something that feels like a bigger conversation. Like for me, I think a lot about, first of all, makeup and how To me, especially when Glossier was first becoming, you know, we were all thinking about fewer steps in our makeup routine when they were starting to really arise as a brand. That to me was something that we were already at least talking about makeup minimalism, even if we weren't calling it that within makeup. Then we continued with COVID, the pandemic, we weren't wearing as much makeup or not as often. And now with skincare during the pandemic, we started to have more of an emphasis on skincare. And then we're starting to see more conversations around sustainability and simplicity. Then I also think about K-beauty, J-beauty, how there was a lot of marketing and emphasis and trends around step routines that were inspired by customs that in routines that came from Asia. And now I kind of just think that sometimes I'm not for sure if it is more of we are just consuming more of our own preferences. Like I think about TikTok and how, or even YouTube per se. And I think about how I follow girls who are still doing glam. Girls who are still doing glam are following other girls who still do glam, (laughs) right? So like for me, I'm a beauty reporter, so I'm following everybody. I'm interested in what everybody is doing. But I do think that if you are a girl who is not beating her face for the gods and you do have, you probably have always had some sort of minimalist like makeup routine. I feel like you have, Brooke. Like to me, you've always had like a glow, very natural. We used to call it natural beauty, I feel. Now we're calling it like minimal beauty. And then sometimes I feel like when we have the conversation, I'm not for sure if we're talking about natural in terms of like clean beauty. Oh, yeah. I think the thing I'm saying in a very jumbled way is that I think that social media, who we follow, who the algo is uplifting and who we view as an authority and who's in the space or in, in we really value their POV, I think that that all influences, therefore, what's being written about. And then therefore, what we say is in and what we say is out. Yes, I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I think it also goes a level deeper in terms of who's, what corporate interests are when you think about... Totally. A creator is incentivized actually to talk about more products in a single seven-minute YouTube video than to talk about one product, right? Because every single one of those product mentions is an opportunity to use an affiliate link or to shove in another sponsor. Um, So they're probably going to talk about using more products than the average person would talk about. Magazines, which rely on advertiser support, can't start saying you only need one moisturizer for the year or you only need one sunscreen. That goes against exactly their corporate interests. So I do think that if skin minimalism becomes really popular in terms of this ethos about only have like a few good products and you don't need to buy new products all the time, it's going to happen almost in spite of creators and corporations and the media. That's a really good point. See that I 100% agree with. And what they'll have to do about that, I don't know. And I don't care if I'm being honest. I totally agree. You mentioned glam and I just have to touch on this because I I really actually want to know your point of view. Also being that you spend a lot of time in Los Angeles, um, but you're also like in New York and you see what's going on here. Do you think lashes have just gotten to the point of no return? (laughs) Because I've been thinking that it's, it's a lot for the past two, three years. Like, wow, people are just doing full lashes, but 
it's gotten to a point now that is for me and my aging eyes in terms of what I think of as quote unquote acceptable seems like people are doing the absolute most with these lashes. Is this just life now? I am not sure, but all I know is that I am not even myself, even fully comfortable with the glue on lashes. I feel very self-conscious about how I look. However, the reason why I don't think that lashes are going anywhere is because lashes, the application of lashes in the business of lashes has truly become the entryway for a lot of women and people within the beauty industry. Lash techs, like hair, selling hair, creating a brand on Instagram where, you know, you are now selling wigs and weaves and extensions. I think that we are now seeing, this is the thing about, about the beauty industry and why I feel like in my, in, in my opinion, Beauty is such a resilient industry, especially, I think, why we also see a lot of women and and women of color creating wealth for themselves within the beauty industry, because it is a space that, again, no one can tell you that you can't be a part of. You can go and get your license if you can afford it or you don't have to now these days. No one cares, I don't think. Yeah. And I think that because of that, you can build a business for yourself, the entryway into the beauty industry based on your location, uh, whether you are in Atlanta or Houston or New York or LA, or even just in your hometown is possible. And so beauty is a means in which people can make money for themselves potentially very quickly. And so I feel like I've seen that happen within the lash space. I have too. Yeah. And something funny is that I follow this male barber on TikTok and he recently started doing lashes and he has, you know, this whole TikTok, no one's going to come to you, man. No one's going to come to you, get your lashes. And then, you know, this collage of him doing all these women's lashes. And that to me is basically the antithesis of what I'm trying to say is that he learned how to do it. And now he literally created a new revenue stream for himself as a male beautician, as a barber. And I think that to me, that is something incredibly fascinating about, about beauty is that people continue to reinvent like the economic wheel for themselves. Absolutely. I have a question for you. Yes, please ask, ask away. Well, you had mentioned just around eyes and thinking about, and this is something I feel like you've talked about, dark circles, concealing dark circles, thinking about the eyes, what's too much, what's doing too much. And I have noticed my face starting to change. And I don't want to say age, but becoming more mature. And I think that also just in addition to that, the pandemic, the toll that I feel like it's even just had on me emotionally at this point, yeah. It's winter outside. Everyone's like, give me the filler syringe. I need it. I am like, wait, <laughs> is this, am I imagining this? And I think I just want to know from you, how do you view it now for yourself? And what's your outlook and kind of like your philosophy around even your approach to makeup and concealer or whatever, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, the rise of cosmetic like fillers and all of that stuff, right? This idea that, you know, don't stop at spending all of your time and money on skincare. Also go get Botox and fillers and all of that stuff. I think it's becoming so increasingly mainstream that people look to that as a solution for some of the things they want to change on their face. And I have decided on how I feel about that, that I'm going to remain neutral because I think I have learned not to be judgmental. Even when I was talking about the lashes earlier, I was saying it's like my older eyes, like my eyes are aging in terms of, you know, older people would look at long nails and be like, wow, nails that long. Like, is that, you know, I'm getting to a place where I need to realize, okay, is this how lash, is this how people's lashes look right now? Or is, is it, is it, me that needs to adjust or like is taste just changing. So I think with Botox and fillers, a lot of it is me being neutral about the fact that so many people do this. Now I do not have anything in my face. I don't have Botox. I don't have fillers. I did under eye filler 
once now, three years ago. So quite a long time ago, I saw a difference afterwards. No one else could tell anything, but I also had the experience of gaining weight while pregnant and like your face like fills out and it kind of just looks like you have filler anyway. So I've just, I'm like, I'm like at this place where I'm like, you know, your face changes with weight loss, with weight, weight gain. And I do not feel any urge to run out and get under eye filler again. I asked if I could get Botox and the doctor explained to me that I'm not a candidate because when I raised my eyebrows, I do not have deep wrinkles. So I was like, okay, I'm not even a candidate for Botox. So we love that. (laughs) Cool. And concealer is just one of the small things, you know, I love my Kosas creamy concealer. That's like my favorite concealer ever. It's easy to put on. I also like the Merit beauty foundation stick, super easy to put on. It's one of those things that I can do and just instantly feel that I look better, even if I'm just at home on Zoom. So I like to conceal my dark circles. I would love to get to a point where I just didn't even bother with concealer ever, but I'm not there yet. I love that. I think that that is a really good outlook and approach. And I think that for me, I have been also just waiting and reflecting and seeing how I feel and not jumping to conclusions. And also just realizing that maybe this is, I don't want to say a a phase, but just me more recognizing that my face is changing and that's okay. Your face looks the same to me. I'm curious what you think is changing because I think the other thing that we have come to learn from this pandemic is that so much time, um, in front of screens, whether that's looking at other people on screens that are using filters or looking at ourselves on Zoom has distorted our self-perception in some ways. So I'm just curious what you think is changing or like what you could possibly even do because I'm struggling to see it. I don't think I can do anything besides right now put eye cream, but I think that there is just a tiredness in my face right now. Really is contributing to, yeah, I mean, I have on concealer right now and I have on makeup right now, but I am seeing these little like fine lines. Yeah. No, not even fine lines. Like these tiny little, I think bags is an, is is an exaggeration, but I don't know what, what else to call them, but not fully around my lower eye, but just at the corners. And for me, I'm like, is this permanent? Is it just because I'm tired? Is it just because I am like literally sick of everyone's mess around me? (laughs) Like, I don't, I'm just going to continue to gua sha. I'm just going to continue to use eye cream and see where it goes. But I was just like, man, a a lot of me honestly feels like it's just emotional toll from the pandemic. I feel like this is probably the first time in a long time that I have just been like emotionally drained and tired from this experience in so many ways. That's so real. And I think that that is probably having a huge effect on my face. So I'm keeping that and I'm bearing that in mind. Yes. I honestly think after you should just take like a long 10 day vacation and then reassess how you feel. I think that too. And I also think that some vitamin D would do me like some sun. Let's go to Mexico for 10 days. Yeah. I know. I saw your trip. That looked fabulous. Yeah. Just get away. I think I also, are you watching it just like that? The very controversial news, Sex in the City. Okay. I'm watching it. I'm invested. I'm tuned in. Everyone hates it. I'm like, listen. Same. Everyone hates it. But You know what, though? So, of course, like the media hates it. I think that also something that I realized, too, in reading a lot of the reviews, I am watching the show as a 31-year-old young Black woman. I am watching the experience of these white, older women who are talking through their issues and their problems. And so I think for me, I more view myself as an observer versus somebody who's being really judgmental of their experience because Uh, like for me, I kind of just view myself as a fly on the wall. Like, oh, interesting. She feels this way. She feels that way versus maybe the, the critic at The Cut or The New York Times who can far more relate to that experience. And so for me, I think that it's probably why I'm enjoying it a lot more because I'm not as attached to the 
characters from an identity lens. I just love the show and I really like the characters and I like what they bring out in me. And so in that way, I'm very invested. You have tapped into such an interesting and fascinating point because I think that the like Miranda and Charlotte, they're like Karens, right? They're essentially Karens. And if you are an older white woman, it's not a very flattering portrait. It would be like if, to bring it back to our insecure conversation, it would be like if there was a new insecure with like all of the cast minus maybe like Kelly's not there because that's like the king control that everyone misses. But they come back and like, I don't know, like Molly and Issa are like a mess and like, you know, are like not, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I thought they would be like, it's like people were like, oh, I wanted, you know, I wanted Carrie to have, you know, her own version of Goop and be this boss. And I wanted Miranda to be like so much more woke. And, and it's like, well, guess what? Some people lose touch and it's not when you overly identify with them, I can see the disappointment, but I brought up and just like that for a reason, because I think it's been very interesting to hear Sarah Jessica Parker talk about the fact that she's received backlash for aging. And I kind of like that she's done nothing like maybe if she's done a few very small things, but I kind of like that we can see that she is getting older. And I think there's something very elegant and like glamorous in a way that like money can't buy to see people get older and just be like that chic, cool, elevated version of themselves. That's just older with like an older face. Me too. Oh my gosh. You just said something that I felt like I've been feeling and observing in watching her. Now, granted, she has amazing makeup. She has amazing hair, everyone on set, but even still, you do see that she's maturing. And I think that for me, I enjoy that experience of literally watching her. I still think that there's something maybe relatable is not the right word, but something very desirable. Like, you know what I mean? I think that oftentimes when, you know, we may see see a reboot or a woman who is not a ravishing 25 years old, 30 years old, it's almost as if they're just a mom. We're not seen to desire them outside of their role as a wife, a mother, a granddaughter, whatever it is. And I think that something that I yearn for a lot is literally hearing more from women who are just simply older than me and have had more experience. And like, for me, I actually crave that so much. You know, there's so much talk and beauty about mature skin, aging, that term, whatever it may be. And it's like, I don't even honestly care about that debate. I just literally want to hear from women who are older than me. And I want to hear more of their voices within the beauty conversation because they clearly have so much to offer. And I think that it's far more interesting. It's like when you have your mother and your grandmother on Naked Beauty, you know, people should go back and and like listen to an episode because for me, that is like what I want. Like when we talk about a beauty conversation, that's what I want to hear that, you know, and I want to hear you be in conversation or be me be in conversation with women who are older than us or even younger than us. Yeah. I interviewed 13 year olds for this podcast this year. Like that was really interesting to me that at 13, they already had a whole philosophy about skincare and beauty. And I've also had the experience of for my five-year episode, I interviewed listeners and I have a lot, so many people emailed me and they were like, I'm probably like the rare older listener. Like I'm in my late forties or I'm in my fifties. And I'm like, it's not that rare. But one, they said that they appreciated hearing from younger women that had diverse perspectives. And then I also, of course, have a lot of younger listeners that are like still in school that were like, I love hearing from women in their thirties. So I think, yeah, we, we do create that like intergenerational look at beauty. What do you think is next? What do you, where do you think the conversations around beauty culture and skincare, and I'm focused on skincare because I think I've, I've seen a lot more emphasis on skincare than makeup, but It could just be beauty generally. Where do you think the conversation is going? If I'm being 100% honest, I don't mean this as a cop-out question. I'm not 100% for sure because I'm not for sure how invested I personally am in that specific conversation. Something that I know for a fact we're going to see more of this year is more thoughtfulness around beauty culture and beauty news. And I think a lot of what I have been trying to do and and define in a lot of ways 
I did like this biggest beauty news moments of 2021. And something that I put at the top is like a trend, like as a, I'm putting air quotes around trend of just something we're going to see more of is just this realization that there are far more dynamic ways to continue to cover beauty that are where the base of the conversation is not around always a product, but it's around us, our feelings, our voices, and our thoughts, and more of putting a mirror on ourselves. I think that's something that for me, I personally want to see more of, and maybe I'm just being selfish here, is just this concept of the product really being the byproduct and more of this focus on brands who actually see themselves more as the catalyst and really actually know how to like pull back from centering themselves to uplift women who are their consumer or are not, but who really understand and value that everything that they do actually does not have to be around a new campaign per se, but is actually really about the long-term cultural benefit of uplifting voices and conversations that maybe you don't see the immediate benefit of. And so I know that that doesn't- Building community. Like building community, exactly. And I think that like, for me, just this- more dynamic way, I think, of seeing people cover beauty news, you know, is going to continue to be a thing. I can't tell you how many magazines have asked me to be a contributor or have podcasts that have asked me to, you know, come on to be like a beauty news reporter because they recognize the value in it. They recognize the thing that they've been missing. And so especially for me as somebody who is like, I'm not about to do this for you for like 500 bucks. Like I know that you don't have any money, but I know that what I have is like valuable and interesting and that I'm onto something. It's like, let me take some time to be more long-term and to think more long-term about what I'm making. Even if I lose out on money at the beginning, which, you know, let's pray that I don't, even if it means that I see other, other versions of it, it's like, I want to see other people continue to experiment with beauty conversations in really dynamic ways, in ways that come from not always a focus on brands. So for me, I feel like that's my space. I feel like what I realized is like, I'm not the girl who my strength isn't in the tutorial. And I think that I'm looking at all the girls where that's where their strength is. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to add to the conversation, you know? Yes. Well, One, I think all of that is so brilliant, but I also think in a way you've answered my question about what's next in terms of like the beauty industry and skincare, because to bring it back to topicals, unfortunately you had that bad reaction, but like, I just saw they launched some like serum for ingrown hairs and everything from like the models that they selected to the way that it was shot and the way that it was styled to me, I can tell that that's a brand that's run by thoughtful, young Gen Z women that have a point of view about beauty culture and the world. And I think, you know, and not to make it about naked beauty, but I've started with this idea of like building community first and beauty conversations so that if I then want to ever launch a product, I'm not like reverse engineering, like, okay, I have this cream. I need to get everyone excited about the cream. Now let me build a community around this cream. It's like, no, the community comes first. And I think people will be more hungry for beauty products that give them a sense of community versus like, I don't want to say any names, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And I 100% agree with you. And I think like my question for you is really, what do you feel like your goal is as Brooke this year in relation to your podcast, but also as an influencer. And I don't mean that in like the cliche way. I mean that in like the very legitimate way of, you know, how to build community, you bring people along with you wherever you go. And it's like, for you, what do you really want to get out of this now that you have really created? You've literally, I've watched you literally build this space for yourself and you've gotten so good at the capturing of who you are and what you do, you know? Thank you for such a thoughtful question. Um, 
am in such an interesting exploratory phase right now where I'm thinking about what could my value be for brands from like a consulting standpoint. I think about all of the like sheer sunscreens I've tried on that I'm like, okay, clearly no black people were involved in this product testing because you would not have put sheer on the label, like period. Like if someone in a position of power could have told you like, this is not sheer on me. And like, you literally can't say this, you guys would be in a much better position. And I think I've realized a lot of indie beauty and skincare brands are like small, 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 like they have four employees. So when they're asked, like, tell us your diversity numbers. They're like, well, we have one person that does operations. Like I do, you know, they're, they're tiny, but that doesn't mean that they can't outsource to a group of women. So I'm thinking about, can I kind of create like a consultancy that's focus group based where I can get members of the naked beauty community to give valuable feedback, um, specifically from women of color to these brands on their marketing, on their product to improve it? Do I want to release a product? And does the world need more products? And what can I do in a way that's going to create real value for people and make people's lives better? And then, of course, I've got my my full-time gig and, and some exciting stuff that's happening there just in terms of new technology. We didn't even get into the metaverse conversation, but like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's an interesting time to work in tech. Beauty is, is the thing that I'm really passionate about, but it's also just been great to like have revenue <laughs> that's outside of my, my full-time job um, and, and working with these brands. And as the podcast has continued to grow, having more opportunities to, to work with brands in a way that feels empowering for me. Yeah, I think that's amazing. What you just said around the consultancy and focus groups, I think is really needed and something that is actually very hard to tap into. Again, if you don't have that community. I have to end with this final question. What is making you feel most beautiful these days? What is making me feel most beautiful these days is my slick back bun that I have right now. Because I think that I am in such a transition with what I want to do with my hair. By the way, I'm getting relaxer in a couple of weeks. Whoa, wait, wait, whoa. That's a big thing to drop at the end of this naked beauty conversation. I know. I'm so sorry, honestly. Ah. Oh my gosh. Well, I love it because choose what works for you. And we've like lived under the like natural hair is the only way to wear your hair rule for a long time. But also chemicals. Maybe it's been misinformation. I have so many questions. Can you like come back and give us an update on your relaxer journey? When are you, when are you doing it? Um, I'm going in a couple weeks and okay. I guess just to give a little brief of why yes, please. I have been natural, gone through the transition ever since I was in college. But if I'm being completely transparent and honest, I didn't commit to the journey of really figuring out how to style my natural hair. I didn't, I think it is a money commitment. It is a time commitment. And it was something that I felt like I didn't have much of either while I was going through the process. And so oftentimes I ended up putting my hair in braids or cornrows or quite honestly, wearing my hair the way that I prefer to wear it and love to wear it, which is sleek and pin straight because I love to put my hair up into a ponytail. Convenience is really key and primary for me with my hair. And so my logic now is I have a better idea of how, and I'm far more motivated to take care of my hair the way that I know it should be having a relaxer than when I was like in middle school. And so in my, like, my logic is like, girl, you already wear your hair straight anyways. <clears throat> Why do you continue to struggle, to blow dry, to flat iron, to damage the hair that you are not even like styling going with anyways? And so I want to be able to do the curl, like the, the bump curls, the slick back bun. And I just want it to be easy. Like I am the girl who wants ease and beauty and I want both and I know it's possible. And so I am really excited for my, to get my relaxer and I'm excited excited for you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but okay. So what's making me feel very beautiful right now is my slick back bun just because I love to just be able to see my face to see who I am as Darian now in this moment with my hair out of my way. 
And I love to be able to look at myself in the mirror after a shower or after I've tamed back this hair of mine and being able just to feel like I have a very realistic view of how I actually look, whether it's on Zoom, which is questionable, but definitely in the mirror. I just feel like it's the style I can always go back to. And right now it's my go-to and I felt, and I just feel like it's something where I can do it while I go out to dinner or I can do it on a Zoom call. I love it. It's very chic and definitely shows off your gorgeous bone structure and features and your perfect brows. So it's a great style for you. Thank you so much, Darian, for your, your triple appearance on Naked Beauty. It's always amazing to check in with you and can't wait to talk again in 2023. Yes. Um, sounds good. And thank you. And cannot wait to listen to the Naked Beauty podcast in 2022. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. It's like a dream. So let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself just like a stick. In the and that was my conversation with Darian. Always such a pleasure to talk to her. And I feel like that was like a big mic drop moment at the end around her hair. I have heard about more Black women opting for relaxers and approaching relaxers with healthy hair in mind. And I know my dermatologist who I love, Dr. Elena Jones, she wears a relaxer and she knows a ton about obviously scalp health and, you know, what's dangerous or harmful. And, you know, I I know people that do relaxers. So I think it's very interesting. I wonder if this is going to be a trend that we see. I currently have my braids out and it's a lot of work to take care of your hair and twist it and detangle it. So I more than understand the motivation, but I also feel like if I want that straight look, I just get it pressed. So I don't think it would be the right thing for me because I like my I like wearing my hair curly more than I like wearing it straight. But if you like to wear your hair straight all the time, it's an inter- it's it's an interesting conversation. I feel like there's more here. There's more to discuss. Let me know how you guys feel about it, how you enjoyed the episode, and I will be back next week with a new interview. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 